I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast, where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect, as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context. Not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. And I'm really excited today to have an Australian woman here, Anna Davis, who's somewhat of a pioneer in her field. Um, Anna Davis is a senior yoga teacher and qualified doula who's been teaching yoga and training yoga teachers for over 20 years and specialising in yoga for women's health for the last decade. Anna is the founder and director of Bliss Baby Yoga, which specialises in prenatal and postnatal fertility yoga, women's yoga for menstruation and menopause, restorative yoga, and these courses are offered online and in person in selected locations. Anna has recently released her book, Moving with the Moon, Nurturing Yoga Movement and Meditation for Every Phase of Your Menstrual Cycle. Here it is. Mine is well loved. It has kids scribbles through it, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, uh, Which is a culmination of years of research, teaching and personal embodiment practices. Her mission is simple. She wants to spark an awareness in her readers and students of how a simple, daily, feminine-focused yoga practice can help women ride the challenges of their cyclical and life fluctuations. Whether that be pregnancy, postpartum, or as is discussed in in depth in her new book, Menstruation and Menopause. And ultimately how this can have a flow on effect to support women in embracing a more self-compassionate, sensitive and honouring approach to their unique feminine bodies and cycles. Essentially, Anna's is a feminine message that as women we need to renounce a culture of shame, taboo or just plain ignorance of our body's natural cycles and move into a new paradigm of educating ourselves and our men to create a world that offers a greater balance between the striving and pushing of the masculine and the softer, more receptive energy of the feminine. So thanks so much for being here today, Anna. It's an absolute pleasure. As I said, your book sat by my bed for quite a while. (laughs) My kids got hold of it too. And yeah, it's such a fantastic resource, which we'll we'll go into and I'm going to somewhat base our conversation on your book because it really is um, a great model and the way you work through topics is a really great sequence. So first of all, I'm just, I'd like you to share a little bit about the whys of feminine yoga and a little bit about the history of yoga to put that into context. Thank you, Shelley. Um, So wonderful to be on your podcast and supporting your mission for supporting women um yeah so that's a big question sort of yeah so first of all um the why yeah because it's you know when people say you know whenever you meet people and they say what do you do and you say I'm a yoga teacher and then I say I do women's yoga and people's eyes just glaze over because it's not really 
understood as a particular type of yoga, not widely anyway. That said, it's becoming more and more popular. Uh, and in Bliss Baby Yoga, we've been running women's yoga training, Shakti women's yoga trainings for the last few years, as well as yoga for fertility. And of course, we've been for quite a long time, over a decade, been doing prenatal and postnatal. But yeah, more and more, the women's yoga is becoming more and more popular. So the, the why of women's yoga is really because of the fact that yoga is a 5,000-year-old tradition that was created by men for men, for men's bodies. And the irony is that uh, you know, roughly about 85% of women in yoga classes and teacher training courses, probably even more in teacher training courses, are women. Yet they're actually studying a tradition that is quite masculine in its approach. So, you know, it was a tradition in India that was passed down from male teacher to male student, from guru to disciple. And it was really only in the early part of the last century that women, Western women, sort of pushed their way into it and said, hey, and they, they started to, to go to India and, and get the teachers there to train them. And then they started to disseminate yoga into the West. Uh, but even... That said, and like um, my teacher and mentor, Eve Grzbowski, uh, has written the foreword in the book, and she even recalls you know, when she uh, was training as a yoga teacher many, many, many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, that you know, it was a very masculine practice that she was doing that was really pushing her body. Uh, so it's really only probably in the last five years or so that there's this new awareness on okay, so we love to do yoga as women and we really need to do yoga because actually women are more and more, it's being discovered, more stress sensitive than men or we, we respond to stress in a different way. And so we really need yoga, um, but we need to perhaps start to refine what sort of yoga that is. And that's what my central message is. It's not any kind of yoga will do because a lot of the yoga classes is like a one size fits all approach. And that can sometimes be counterproductive, particularly as we move through our cycles and phases throughout our life as women. Uh, the central idea is that we're cyclical as women. So we've, our bodies function in a very different way to men. Men are much more linear. They have their own subtle hormonal cycles, but we have this really obvious monthly cycle, the menstrual cycle. And of course, that's what my book's all about is how do we adjust our practice according to the fluctuations of our menstrual cycle. So it's really only been more recently understood with the work that I do and the women that inspire me, um, many of whom appear in my book or referenced in my book, um, that actually we need to adopt yoga for our feminine hormonal cycle uh, because it really affects us. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this more, Shelley, about what happens throughout our monthly cycle, for example, how that really affects us physically, mentally and emotionally. And really, if we want to do yoga that supports us, we need to we need to adjust our yoga and not just during our cycle. And I know that we're going to talk about this as well, like, but throughout our whole life cycle, you know, because there are so many key transitions in our life, starting from when a girl first starts bleeding at her menarche, then when she becomes a mother, if she, or if she's trying to become a mother in terms of fertility, um, the, the preconception time of her life. And then after she's become a mother, the postpartum, and then of course the big M, 
menopause and perimenopause, which is the little known lead up to menopause, which can go for a number of years. So very much it's about, first of all, educating women about their bodies uh, and, and really understanding the changes that we undergo and how that impacts us on those different levels. And then we adapt yoga and we take yoga and we make it our own. We appropriate it for women's needs. And also just on a, I'll just finish by saying on a purely physical level, our pelvises are different to men's, yet so many of the postures are made for the male pelvis, which is a narrower pelvis, which has a much more fixed sacroiliac joint. Our pelvises are made as pliable to give birth. So there's a lot of women, and I'm one of them, that come from, a, you know, there's a generation of yoga practice where we've actually really caned our pelvises uh, in a really unhealthy way because we didn't really understand that our sacroiliac joint because of the hormones of our menstrual cycle as well as the hormones of pregnancy can become very hypermobile. Uh, but also just accommodating, like an example I like to give is the mountain pose. Everybody who's done any sort of yoga usually understands that's just the basic where you stand with the feet together and you, you work with your postural alignment before you do your salute to the sun or your standing poses. So even that is different in a feminine approach to yoga. We have our feet wider apart. We have our feet hip width. Or if we're working with pregnancy yoga, we have our feet even wider as our belly gets bigger because our pelvis and our base broadens. So it's all about connecting with earth energy and broadening and widening and accommodating for the female body. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea as to the why we do it. Yeah, that's a fantastic introduction and such an important point that Yoga is just one of the many things that has been based um, on a masculine model and somewhat, I don't think it's been intentionally, <laughs> although the side effects haven't been so great, but not always intentionally, but a lot of our research is done on the male body and then just adjusted for the female body, but the research isn't there. Likewise, as um, yeah, yoga's developed, it's developed for the masculine body. I'm so glad there's people like yourself and even other people looking at how um, we can still have yoga as such a powerful healing practice, but adapt it and adjust it in a very feminine way. So um, let's jump into the, the monthly cycle and the ebb and the flow of the womb, because I think people be coming from sort of different places. Some people are just switching on to the idea that they can adjust their life throughout the monthly cycle and fertility awareness is really taking off womb wisdom topic. It's really everywhere at the moment. And for good reason, because it almost feels like the next wave of feminism. So we've come this far and the next wave is like, yes, we can do anything that men do, but let's, we don't have to, we can do it in a feminine way for what we need in the feminine. So can you share a little bit more about the ebb and the flow of the womb and the monthly cycle and how important it is to track your cycle to tap into those four energetic phases? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, but first I just want to pick up on the wonderful point you made about the evolution of feminism because I, I think this is something that I really like to highlight is the waves of feminism. So we had the first wave of feminism, which was the suffragette movement, women trying to get the vote, you know, have equals say in democratic society. So really important that our predecessors, our feminine ancestors have 
carved the way for us with these movements. And then, of course, there was the second wave of feminism, which was around the 60s, 70s, which, which was also a really important movement to create more equality in the workplace and, and to, uh, you know, to take away this social assumption that all we were were mothers and so on. So um, really important. But actually where we've been suffering, and this is what, you're talking about this movement of the womb wisdom and kind of more awareness of this sort of of our innate femininity is that there has been like a backlash for us as women due to these movements because it's just been a necessary process I guess where we've had to just really strive to be recognized as equal to men and you know there was the whole kind of the power chick movement in the 80s and 90s with the shoulder pads and you know women and you see this all the time now in our in our contemporary side women trying to dress like men in these very kind of masculine suits and so on and, and be out there in the male working paradigm which is really important and I really support those women that are doing that and want to do that and want to have equal say but unfortunately what we've had to do and what's been lost and I think what we're mourning for and what this new movement that you're talking about is really connecting with is this we've lost the fact that actually we are we want to be equal but we are also very different and we have different needs. Uh, and we need these to be honoured. So that's where, like, the third wave of feminism comes in, which I think is kind of what you are touching on. And it's sometimes, you know, it, that sort of started um, in the, in the 80, 1980s, 1990s, and we're sort of taking it into a new wave. Perhaps we're already in fourth wave feminism, but it was kind of called spiritual feminism or, or difference feminism where we're really recognising that actually, and this this whole natural birth movement as well that really flowered from the 1970s onwards, that actually we want to reclaim some of this femininity that we repressed a little bit in order to try and be equal. So that's what we're writing on the back of in this work. So, yeah, I am, I see it as really powerfully feminist work and I'm really, um, you know, I'm really passionate about women being empowered with this knowledge uh, and I, over the years, we've, as I said, we've run courses and teacher trainings in women's yoga. And I've seen so many women that are refugees from the masculine system and they come in and they do these yoga teacher trainings at really important turning points in their life where they're exhausted, they're depleted, they've been out there trying to push, push, push in the man's world, you know. And men have testosterone, you know, that gives them... We do have a spike of testosterone monthly, but we don't have nearly as much as men, obviously. And that testosterone really gives men that drive and that kind of linear, constant energy, whereas we'll have a peak and then we'll subside. And and this is something that as women we have, have been working against, whereas this whole idea... Of what I call moving with the moon is actually acknowledging these fluctuations of energy which are very different from that steady masculine energy and when we recognize that we actually take back more energy for ourselves and we nourish ourselves rather than working from a depleted trying to push against our energy um, I always tell the story and it's a story that I tell in my book of um, a, a female yoga student that I met once and she was going to my male friend's yoga class so he taught quite a strong asana quite a strong dynamic class and she, we were having a cup of tea after the class 
And when she knew that I was a women's yoga teacher, she, you know, she shared that she had a really difficult time every month during her menstrual cycle. She suffered a lot of pain. She had um, severe hormonal imbalances. So I asked her, well, did she still go to my friend's class, you know, which, as I said, was a strong class? And she said, yeah, yes, I just go. I just take painkillers because I love his class. And then I said, well, how do you feel after the class? And she said, I feel awful. And I think then she was able to make that connection of, oh, wow, is that actually the most compassionate thing I can do for myself at this point? I mean, ideally, and this is what we work on in our trainings, teachers will become more educated about how to support women when they're menstruating in their general yoga classes. But ideally, we don't do a general yoga class. So maybe that's a point to, to launch off in talking about the four phases, which is the menstrual phase, what I call the dark moon phase, when we're bleeding every month. And that's actually when we're at our most vulnerable, our most sensitive in terms of our cycle. So if you think of it like a um, Ferris wheel, you know, in the fun park. So um, when we're bleeding, we're at the bottom of the Ferris wheel. And then we, we work back up towards the top at the opposite end when we're ovulating. So that's kind of the peak. So we have the peaks and the troughs. And when we start to really understand that and then work with that and honour with that, everything shifts. And, yeah, as I said, we, we kind of give back to ourselves. So the first phase is the menstrual phase. And that's when, in terms of our lifestyle, ideally we're taking a little bit of a rest because our body's working really hard. Our uterus is one of the most powerful muscles in the body and it's pumping. It's, it's what I call the mini birth every month. So it's kind of like we're going through the cycle of conception, pregnancy, birth, and then after birth every month like a little microcosmic cycle within our body every month. So our uterus is working really hard to pump out the endometrial lining, the lining of the womb every month. Um, and, and this is why we usually feel really tired and wiped out. Most women say that when they really tune in, oh, actually, I do feel really tired when I've got my period and I do feel low in energy. And also, usually they feel more introverted. And also, particularly if they're feeling like fluid retention and periods and cramping, you're not kind of in a space where you want to be out there and be out amongst the world and kind of shining your light. You're very much in an inward-focused space. So ideally from a feminine yoga and also from an Ayurvedic perspective, and I know Chinese medicine also addresses this, this is the time to replenish our energy. This is the time to rest. It's kind of like your monthly menstrual holiday. In an ideal world, you take the whole day off, the first day or so when you're bleeding, when, you're, when your cycle is at its heaviest, your bleeding is at its heaviest. But even if you just take, sometimes, you know, just if, I take half an hour, I just go to my bed for half an hour and read or rest or just try to reduce your responsibilities as well. If you can get more support from your husband or your partner or your family to, to cook dinner, to kind of, you know, also in terms of your work schedule, if you have any control over your work schedule, this is not a time to do your big power meetings and presentations uh, or to go out to social events. This is time to actually stay at home and rest. And in terms of yoga, this is time to do your dark moon, your menstrual nourishing, nurturing practice, which will look very different from the kind of yoga that occurs in most yoga classes. So we're back to where we were at the beginning of our conversation about how it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So that woman that I was talking about, she would have been best staying at home in doing a restorative, gentle, nurturing practice 
if she wasn't able to get that support within her yoga class. And then that would feed back into her energy. So it's like a bank, you know, it's like a hormonal bank. So she's putting money in her bank if she does that. So then later in her cycle, she'll actually have more energy. And also the first thing, if you have, you know, major imbalances in your cycle, the first thing you should do is make sure that you're resting or easing off a little bit during your period. And that will have a really beneficial flow on effect for your whole cycle so then the next phase is the building the proliferative phase which is the post-menstruation through to ovulation and this is when the body is preparing um, for a potential pregnancy every month during these fertile years of a woman's life span and um, so the follicles in the ovaries are building in preparation to release an egg mid-cycle around ovulation so it's i call this the waxing moon phase and this corresponds with generally particularly when our cycle's nice and balanced and harmonious this corresponds with more energy so this is the most masculine the most yang phase of our cycle uh, and this is when we can go out there and do a stronger yoga practice once we've eased out of the menstrual period it's a bit like postpartum we want to gradually ease out rather than kind of overdo it um, but yeah, so this is when we can go to a stronger yoga class or do stronger practice at home and this is our masculine outcome focused kind of uh, phase in terms of getting stuff done at work or in your family environment getting things done you know ticking things off your list you usually have a lot of energy particularly if you're really nice and balanced and, and you've been following this cyclical sort of pattern and then we get to mid-cycle um, which if a woman has um, a 28 day cycle would be roughly around day 14 which is when she ovulates and this is the most feminine or most traditionally regarded feminine stage. And this corresponds with the full moon. Whether or not you actually ovulate with the full moon, that's fine. Like, I don't want people to get hung up on this kind of... But traditionally, this is when women would ovulate with the full moon and then they would bleed correspondingly with the dark or the new moon because the full moon can actually trigger ovulation as well when we're exposed to the light of the full moon and we're not exposed to all of the unnatural light of living in city and urban environments and toxins and so on that that throw out our natural response to the moon and the kind of and that's another whole subject how the moon affects our hormonal cycle but uh, yeah, so mid-cycle, we, we get to the ovulation phase and this is when we're juicy and feminine. And of course, this is when we have a peak in our libido. Um, so this is when we the, feel the sexiest, we feel the most attractive. In fact, there's research studies. For example, there was one done on lap dancers to, and they discovered that they receive more tips when they're ovulating, much less than when they're menstruating. And it makes sense because... Hormonally, we're putting out pheromones to, and men find us more attractive when we're ovulating as well. So this is the time to get out there in the world, to socialise, to connect with loved ones, to, to do those big work projects that require you to be really out there in an extroverted space. And also it's a, it's a really feminine flowing part. So in terms of our yoga practice, the full moon practice that I suggest that I talk about in the Moving with the Moon book, is a very heart opening very womb opening practice that that kind of really harnesses that more um, traditionally sort of feminine 
feeling and essence of that phase in our cycle. And then we come to the final phase, which is the waxing moon phase, waxing moon phase which is from post-ovulation leading up to our bleeding again, leading up to our menstrual phase. And this um, corresponds with the waning moon. So this is kind of when the energy is now beginning to decline again. So now we've reached the peak of the Ferris wheel and now we're beginning to move back down to the bottom of the Ferris wheel in terms of our fluctuations of our energy, our cyclical fluctuations. And of course, it is reflecting the PMS phase of our cycle, the very notorious PMS. Everybody's heard of PMS, premenstrual symptoms, premenstrual syndrome. And there are actually 150 different premenstrual symptoms that we can experience, hopefully not in one go, um, hopefully not at the same time. But that just goes to show that, you know, it's a very, uh, and these, these symptoms relate from physical symptoms through to emotional symptoms. So there's a lot that can go on for us. It's a very heavy time. The energy is very heavy. So PMS is usually defined as that sort of, five to seven days before we bleed and for most women they'll suffer some sort of symptom related to either just feeling tired a little more tired or it might be any number of those 150 different symptoms like um, fluid retention headaches moodiness grumpiness irritability uh, so this is really uh, this is part of this whole idea of educating ourselves and then educating those around us i'm really passionate about women understanding when they're actually in it because so many women don't, it's, it amazes me still, they don't even realise when they're premenstrual and they're kind of acting out in this very premenstrual hormonal way and everybody in their path is kind of suffering. Um, and so the first thing I would suggest and that works for me is I warn people, I warn my husband, I warn my son, I say, I'm feeling really premenstrual <laughs> and everything is basically annoying me right now. So first of all, don't take it personally, you know. So I'm kind of giving them a little bit of protection around my behaviour. I still want to take responsibility for my behaviour. But, but I'm also just saying I'm really hormonal. And it is incredible how much the hormones can affect our emotions. I mean, we're, we're just one hormonal, one emotional event from the next as women. But when we understand that, we become less beholden to it in a way. It, there's that kind of the mindfulness that allows us to step out of this kind of rather than reacting and being in reactivity and also what has really helped me is understanding and so many of the pioneers are in this field like Alexandra Pope and Miranda Gray and they all talk about this idea that this is the time when we are very sensitive emotionally our energy is declining so this is actually a time to put that little bubble around us to begin to protect ourselves so it's often just an inner cry from our bodies to say enough, give me some space, you know. Uh, and this is, of course, easier said than done for mothers, particularly when you've got children and family pulling upon you and, and then you might have work, if you might be a working mother, so then you might have that other layer of commitments and obligations. But as much as possible, you can transform your experience of PMS and this kind of heavy phase by just quite trying to create some boundaries around yourself. So taking some time out, going for a walk in nature by yourself, you know, uh, uh, taking a long bath. I really love to have baths when I'm premenstrual. Magnesium baths because I'm getting all that magnesium that generally we're a little bit um, depleted with magnesium, which can help with men 
premenstrual symptoms and menstrual symptoms. So just finding things that work for you. And the other thing that really helped has helped me, and this is all about this idea of reframing rather than kind of just pushing away or calling our cycle the curse, you know, which is one of the words that our society has labelled our cycle. How can we reframe that as a positive thing that we can work with? And Miranda Gray, who's written a wonderful book called The Optimised Woman, and I'm really inspired by her understanding and elucidation of these four phases of the cycle. And I've then put this extra layer on top when I talk about how to work with yoga in the Moving with the Moon approach. So she talks about our PMS phase and she calls it the creative phase. And I've found that really useful um, because what I've actually understood, and Dr. Christian Northrup talks about this as well, a really well-known um, American obstetrician and author of some wonderful books for women's health, they talk about this idea that actually and there's research, this is based on research, the more intuitive part of our brain actually comes into the fore when we're premenstrual. So we become much more uh, in our right brain than our left brain. So we're actually much less capable of working on those rational kind of nitty-gritty type masculine um, tasks. Better to save that for our waxing moon, for our, for our post-menstruation leading up to ovulation phase. This is the time to work on the creative intuitive. And you'll often find when you tune in, you have really wild dreams when you're premenstrual, and that's related to our hormones. But it's actually an opportunity to tap into that more intuitive aspect of yourself so for me personally, I've actually, when I started to recognise these four phases, and I'm lucky because I work from home and I can control my workload to a certain degree, uh, as much as possible, I would actually map up, you know, I'm coming up to my premenstrual phase, so this is when I won't try and do my tax, try and do things like that that would really just annoy me and cause increase my stress levels and my frustration because I'm also more uh, stress sensitive when I'm premenstrual as well. That's very common for women is that we get our nerves are very frayed. So that's when I do writing and, 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 you know, the things that creatively fill me up. So for you that might be painting or cooking or it's also just some of those more feminine things like crafts and cooking and gardening and things that just ground us and nourish us. And, but they're solitary and they work with that more intuitive aspect of our brain, which is more to the fore. And when you start to do that, you actually start to almost look forward to that part of the month as your kind of special creative time and you'll actually find you might actually really be more more you know if you're writing for example that's when I would really the writing would just flow you know it wouldn't be hard because I was tapping into that so it can be quite revolutionary for women when they discover this pattern oh, and I'll just finish by saying in terms of yoga during the waning moon the PMS phase it's all about just trying to manage those symptoms that can arise, all of those different premenstrual symptoms. So a lot of restorative practices or a lot of practices just to move through any stagnancy as well as inversions, inversions, inversions. Inversions really help balance our hormones and they can be really good for this phase, for this premenstrual phase. Not only do they really help nourish um, our hormonal glands and our hormonal system, but they also literally inversions turn us upside down. So they help flip our awareness and our perspective because we can get really negative about everything when we're premenstrual. So, yeah, so there's, there's ways that we can use. First of all, step one is to understand our cycle. And then step two is to then 
engage tools, whether they're diet, yoga, um, educating those around you, like just doing the things that you can to enhance each phase rather than enhance the positive aspects of each phase rather than kind of get bogged down in the negative aspects, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Oh, so much great wisdom there. I think you've made some great points, but especially the long-term benefits, which obviously I'm coming from that postpartum perspective a lot at the moment. And when you look at traditional wisdom, they say if you're looking after the mother the first month or 40 days, then so 42 days for 42 years. So you're actually looking at long-term health benefits for that woman. And I think it's really the same in the menstrual cycle. And I've personally experienced this the closer I've tracked. I've tracked my cycle for a while, but then starting not only tracking my cycle, but trying to plan as much as reasonably possible around that. And I think if we saw more women really slowing down and having that retreat, it's only a very short time that we need to do it. And that little bit premenstrual and on that first day or two of bleeding, or at least the first day, then we would see long-term benefits of women's health, not only physically reproductive, because like you mentioned, it's a mini birth. And I feel like, like as with birth, which is part of these waves of feminism, women need to feel safe for all the hormones to occur, for the birth to happen easily. It's not a guarantee, but you're going to get much better outcomes when the woman feels safe and nurtured. Same with the menstrual period. The woman feels safe and there's not too much stimulation going on around she can have a better full release of the menstrual period. And I see with um, the vaginal steaming work, women coming in with residue, so a lot of brown residue. And there's some um, natural healing ther theories that say when that, you're not getting a full release of the period, you're getting residue in there. Therefore, we're getting all these reproductive issues because the womb isn't releasing properly. And I feel like that holding on is part of not really allowing the safe space for the full hormonal physiological process to release that womb. So therefore, having a retreat during your period have huge long-term health benefits. And I would love to see one day in our society, hopefully not too far, where women can go on a day of menstrual leave and you're actually going to have more productivity from that woman overall by having that day off. And I know in myself, sometimes people say, how are you doing so much as a, a mother of young children? Part of it is I have some support, so I'm lucky. I'm working from home. I've been a mother that had to go to a job, so I know there's a difference there. But I really, truly believe that part of it is I ride my menstrual cycle and the moon cycle. So I, today I've done two podcasts in a row. You're the second one because it's full moon and I'm ovulating. So I knew I wouldn't be as drained and I will try not to book anything or much around the dark moon and bleeding. Um, and so I think they're also the traditional cultures have always acknowledged this. And in our waves of feminism, when in the 60s when we can do anything and also birth control, conception came in there, which looks like a great idea for women, but has had some long-term health consequences, which is a whole other subject. And now women are going, actually, birth control might not be so great for women's health and rights. But um, traditionally, I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater. We threw out the traditional wisdom there in striving to be equal to men. And now we're sort of going, wait a minute, let's incorporate that back in. Okay, we can vote, we can work, we can do whatever men do. But let's, the, the traditional cultures had some um, validity there. So I get questions sometimes from women about, um, and you mentioned it. So for me, I do happen to 
ovulate at full moon and I bleed at dark moon. It hasn't always been this case before children and when I've lived in the cities, so maybe there's some link there. But for women who are bleeding at full moon and ovulating at dark moon, when they bring awareness into it, that sometimes becomes a little bit challenging because the world around you, your kids, your people, there's this full moon energy, but you're feeling much more introverted and retreating in your bleeding. Can you share some thoughts around that and your experience with women who have that cycle? Okay, so you're talking about women who, yes, who, who have the reverse. They yes. bleed with yes. the full moon and yes. ovulate the dark of the new moon yeah so they this is called a red moon cycle mm. so a white moon cycle is the opposite is the one where we are bleeding with the dark of the new moon which is kind of in in tune with that natural inward energy that i was talking about and the, you know because when you think about it when the moon is dark you know there's a there's a sense when you go out at night at a dark moon that it's dark you know so it's more like a time to be inside whereas the opposite when the moon is full and there's this beautiful luminous moon shining over everything we, we're much more inspired to be outside and so that it, it is reflective of that more extroverted energy so that is that is the white moon cycle pattern and that is said to be an optimal pattern for fertility um, but at the same time the problem with, with with us as women is that we'll use any excuse to beat ourselves up and be wrong and kind yeah. of go, oh, you know. Yeah. So it's really not about that. And, yeah, and it, and it can be very hard to sync up with that cycle depending on, yeah, the influences that you have in terms of living in an urban environment and not kind of being connected to that natural light of the moon. Uh, and also there's no right or wrong because it can be equally valid to also have what you're talking about, which is the red moon cycle, which is that inverse where we are bleeding with the full moon so yeah so I, this is the question i often get it's like what does this mean and how do i manage this and and i um wrote a blog recently about it and i fielded quite a few different women's uh, experiences through our bliss baby yoga facebook group and it was really interesting to hear the different experiences that women had depending on when they bled in terms of full moon or dark moon a lot of women actually said that when they bled with the dark moon that their cycle was heavier. And I have certainly um, noticed that in my own cycle. We, it kind of is, is it, it's very much in alignment with this idea of kind of heaviness and darkness. And as long as we embrace that, we're fine. Um, but yeah, then women talk about this kind of, yeah, this kind of disconnect of when they're bleeding with the full moon and there's this sort of outward energy and they don't know whether to go out or in. And, um, so there's no real easy answer to how to navigate that. But first of all, what you're doing then is you're not actually going with the energy of the moon. You're going with the energy with your womb, the moon inside you, your own internal moon which is your womb so your internal moon your womb is actually saying no this is when you're bleeding this is actually time for you to be quiet so it's totally possible to do that once you recognize that and you listen to your body what you may find and yeah and i found this when i have had a red moon cycle because of course it can switch you know mm -hmm. because unless we have a cycle that's exactly 29.5 days which is the same as the lunar cycle it's going to switch and I found, and I'm into perimenopause at the moment, and I haven't bled now for about three months. So I, I may be almost, who knows, maybe this is it for me. But when I was bleeding really regularly, I was finding my cycle was, it's, it was quite um, interesting to observe that every so often my cycle would become much longer or much shorter, even though it was very regular, to catch up with the moon. 
So it would get much shorter. So it would either I would bleed in sync with the new moon or with the with the full moon. But what I noticed is that my bleed wasn't as heavy with the full moon because it's still an outward energy. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't honour and, and take some sort of rest and some sort of nurturing, but but just um, it's interesting to observe that and also to observe why you might be bleeding with the full moon. So typically it's said that, um, and people like Jane Hardwick Collings talk about this and, and suggest that when we bleed with the full moon, it's not so much about procreating, it's not so much about the kind of fertility objectives um, because when we bleed with the full moon, we're in light, we're in alignment with that kind of mother energy, you know. And I, from Ayurveda, it says this is the best time for us to conceive, is then when we're ovulating with the full moon. Um, so very much that's when we're more likely to kind of be uh, our agenda would be in having a baby. Not always, but that's often what it is. So when we're bleeding with the full moon, a lot of women have observed this to me as well and reported that. This is when they're going through another phase in their life where it's about them, about their journey inwards. Um, so their own self, you know, a reinventing of themselves or a refining of the energy within themselves, which can be very confronting because what's happening, and this kind of relates back to your question, is that when we're bleeding with the full moon, which is a very internal thing, even though the moon, what it's actually doing is bringing our shadow aspects into the light, which is really confronting because it's basically going, there's all this dark stuff within us because we have this shadow side. Then when we work with the shadow side, that's when we become whole. You know, we can't just embrace the light. We also need to embrace the dark. It's the yin and the yang. So this is actually an opportunity to kind of go inwards and really kind of explore some of that slightly icky stuff and bring it out into the light and kind of go, okay, what's serving me? What's not serving me? If I can cathart this, if I can work through this, this old wound or this, this, this pain in some way or this, this challenge and bring it to the light. So rather than seeing it as some sort of dissonance, some sort of disconnect, we can actually see it as, ah, this is, this is why my body's doing this. This is if we want to see our cycle from a real personal development perspective. So, yeah, there's some ideas to play with there. I love that, yeah. And with any of these topics, I think you made a good point that we don't want to want to educate what we don't want to say, this is the only way, therefore feel bad if you're not fitting into this. That's the last thing women need or anyone needs. But I love the way you've reframed that in the positive. And I've never thought of that before, the idea that, yeah, you can might be dealing with some more shadow stuff. And it does make sense now I'm thinking about, not all, but some of the women... I don't know the backgrounds, but some of the women who have that cycle have somewhat told themselves, that's it, no more babies. I'm moving into a different phase of my life. And then maybe giving themselves a bit more time to look at their shadow and their healing and reassess who they are now as a mother, but moving forward as a person. So I love that. I love that I can now share that with, with women. And that really relates to um, menopause, you know, so that gives us time because menopause is the next big pause. It's the next big kind of transition of really going inwards. So if we can start to use that cycle, which might have flipped around after we've been in our baby making phase, then we're actually preparing for menopause, which is kind of the ultimate self-exploration and peeling back of the layers. So, yeah, it just occurred to me then I've actually never made that connection of how the red, the red moon cycle can actually prepare us for menopause. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Going from that fertility cycle. How interesting. 
Um, and also you made a point about how and we're more stress sensitive um, due to our hormonal makeup, but especially at certain times of the moon or certain times of our cycle hormonally. And therefore our nervous systems need to be cared for in a different way. And you really see this um, postpartum as well with all the postpartum mental health, uh, anxiety issues, depression, things like that. And it, I really believe it's because the nervous system did, hasn't had time to recalibrate and ground and heal. And there's so many ways that can happen through nutrition, through rest. But yoga, I think, could play such an important part in that and the way that it can ground the central nervous system. And I noticed, I think in your blog or your book, you uh, referenced Liz Koch, who's a somatic uh, therapist and a psoas muscle expert. And she talks about the constructive rest pose that you talk about and quote, uh, freeze the, it frees the central nervous system from much of the stimuli that evokes habitual response patterns to gravity. And I think that's so important that we can look at how our physical physiology is linked to our other organs, in this case, our reproductive organs. The psoas muscle connects the legs, trunk runs through the pelvis and the nerves um, are embedded in the reproductive area and how yoga can then have a direct effect on the nervous system. And that's applicable all through our lives. So you're saying menstrual period, postpartum, absolutely. And then especially in menopause. Um, so could, can you tell us a little bit more about um, how and give some examples of why yoga can be such a powerful healing modality for all of those life phases and how it has such positive impacts on the nervous system? Yeah, so that's right. So there's so we've so far mainly been focusing on the menstrual cycle. And really that's kind of a microcosm of the macrocosm of our whole feminine life trajectory, the whole journey that we take from girlhood through to from birth through to death as a woman. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned, there's the menarche when we first start to bleed and biologically we become a woman. And then there's, um, you know, then, then, then there's the, the preconception when we're perhaps in, intending to, uh, you know, a lot of women are trying to have children. Obviously, a lot of women have accidentally have children as well. But if you're intentionally having children, then that's a phase in itself of how you prepare your body for pregnancy and birth and also how you prepare your mind and how you prepare yourself emotionally and spiritually for this next phase this next rite of passage becoming a mother so fertility yoga in itself is a really wonderful tool that can support women particularly if women are having difficulty getting pregnant and really unexplained infertility is on the rise in our society so there is this need for this and of course a lot of this is the stress connection, the fact that our fertility and our, um, our nervous system is so closely connected to our hormonal system and that when we are under stress and our body's pumping out cortisol, the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, this has a negative impact then on, on the balance, the, the delicate balance of our female hormones, particularly estrogen and progesterone. So this... This might be a phase where a woman starts to be conscious of her lifestyle. And as you said, use, using all those different tools, nutrition and, and stress management and yoga is one of the tools. And I always really like to emphasize that yoga is just one aspect. It's not a fix it all, fix all. It's, it's not an overnight kind of 
Band-Aid. It's, it's a holistic, integrative approach that works well with other modalities and other approaches. And sometimes you might need to have allopathic support. You might need to have surgery or medication to support your body in some way. But yoga can support you in that as well. So, yeah, preconception, it's really, yoga can be a really important tool for that. And then, of course, it's huge. And this, the, the good thing is this is actually quite well known, obviously, is how yoga can support women during pregnancy. Prenatal yoga has been a thing for a very long time. So there is that very broad general understanding of how prenatal yoga and how yoga needs to be adapted for the pregnant body. And this is not just to, only to support her physically, and to you know help the fact that she's got this growing uterus that by the end of pregnancy is like 500 times its original size so we've got a lot of accommodating in our physical body to do as everything gets pushed and stretched moved and so yoga is just great for all those aches and pains and just making us feel comfortable and also preparing our body for opening for birth but also yoga again helps us emotionally because of course yoga works with the koshas with the layers and so it never just works on the pure physical level so yoga is helping us prepare emotionally for motherhood and to literally not just make space in your body but make space in your life so yoga will help us with that with that kind of there's this natural pause this pause where we're in between one phase and another and that's what pregnancy is there's nine months of kind of just developing before we, we become our mother and our baby comes into the world so then of course postpartum yoga is really important and you've touched on kind of how the nervous system needs nourishing and there is thankfully a lot more awareness around a woman really resting and being supported that's relatively new in our western society that's a practice of course that was that goes way back more into matriarchal practices and kind of pre-obstetric practices and so on uh, but we are reclaiming that and and that the 42 days that you mentioned and just women really taking that time which in india and a lot of uh, traditional cultures was normal for women to be really supported and lifted up by her community and to be not expected to just reintegrate and just be back to normal and just fixed you know and it's really dangerous these images that we have in um, popular culture of celebrities who get their baby body back in two weeks you know that's really dangerous for women to try to live up to those crazy unrealistic expectations because it's unhealthy for her to push herself to suddenly lose weight and suddenly be out there in the world when yeah she's in a very vulnerable place and it's all about nurturing herself so she can nurture her baby and um, that's very much the focus of postnatal yoga is about what I say nurturing the nurturer so kind of really using these nurturing practices that are available to us the more feminine practices the more gentle the more yin type practices like restorative yoga a wonderful tool for new mothers as well as yoga nidra you know the deep relaxation practices and the pranayama the breath practices so yeah that's another whole area unfortunately that is growing in awareness because it used to just be people knew about prenatal yoga but then they just thought oh well then you just go back to a yoga class when you don't have this baby in your belly but actually particularly for that whole first year the nine to twelve months after you have your baby pretty much the period that it took to be pregnant if not the full year, your body is vulnerable, you know, and there's also more of this understanding of the fourth trimester, you know, those critical sort of three, four, five, six months after we've given birth, which is kind of an extension of that delicacy of pregnancy where we want to really take care of ourselves on a holistic level. And then um, 
you know, and then we go back into our cycle after we, you know, after our cycle returns and breastfeeding eases off. And so then we go back to our monthly um, understanding of our cycle that we're talking about before and honouring the rise and fall of the hormones and the fluctuation and the, the kind of the Ferris wheel that goes up and goes down. And then we move into perimenopause. And this is, um, for most women, this happens early to mid-40s. The average age that women reach menopause is 51 in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so menopause is when we haven't bled, when we haven't had a period for 12 months. So it's it's diagnosed retrospectively. So we don't know that we're menopausal until we haven't had our period for 12 months. So if our period comes back, you know, for example, I haven't had one for three months, but if it comes back tomorrow, then I start again and I've got to go another 12 months. So the perimenopause, so most of the action actually happens in perimenopause and that's the lead up to that point where we haven't bled for 12 months. And this is the bit that I'm really passionate about educating women about because so many women and so many women my age in their 40s um, or even early 50s are having a lot of these symptoms of menopause and not even kind of really connecting it to menopause. And, and even a lot of GPs are not really educated about, you know, they know about menopause but not so much about perimenopause. And if you come to a GP in your early or mid-40s and complain of insomnia or depression or anxiety, or, you know, many or, you know, many of these symptoms that are perimenopausal symptoms, they'll suggest, oh, well, you're a long way from menopause, so it's not that. You must be stressed or whatever. But actually it is. Your cycle is beginning to change. Your stress sensitivity often increases. So as our progesterone levels, which initially drop, and then our estrogen levels drop, that's very much connect to our, connected to our stress uh, ability to manage stress and also to the serotonin levels, the happy, the happy um, neurochemicals in the brain that make us feel happy and contented. So these start to decline. So depression is a really common symptom that's often misdiagnosed. So in terms of kind of how our monthly cycle can reflect this bigger cycle, your menopausal, your perimenopausal phase is kind of like an extended PMS. So we need to engage the same tools that we engage every month when we're premenstrual in that waning moon phase when our energy is declining and we're becoming a little bit more moody and we're getting some of these physical symptoms and this build-up to bleeding. So we need to employ those same strategies for supporting ourselves and nourishing our nervous system. It's really important that we go into menopause with really nourished adrenal glands because the adrenal glands are one of the important parts of the body that take over the production of estrogen once our ovaries retire from estrogen production once we've gone into menopause. So as much as we can understand these, these phases, and sometimes they're more subtle and they're not so obvious because we're still bleeding, we still have our cycle, but that might be changing. We might be having much longer cycles or much shorter cycles and much heavier bleeding and so on. So the more we can understand that and, and gain give ourselves support, really practice self-compassion um, in how we live and how we practice our yoga, um, the more that, you know, we'll, be, we'll, we'll find more harmony and balance and peace within ourselves. So, yeah, it's really important to understand all of these cycles throughout our whole lifespan to support ourselves, to support our daughters, to support our friends, you know, to, to, it's a communal thing that extends outwards. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And it's almost like when there's that awareness there and then you can, you talk about the embodiment, which I think is so important. It's like from that awareness, um, how do you embody that in your practice? Then that's almost like a map 
to guide you to be more in line with your soul and your soul's purpose and your place in the world and in the family and inside yourself. And I love that you link the microcosm of those cycles with those larger life cycles because yeah, the sooner, like you say, if we're educating our daughters and if young women are learning this upon commencing menstruation, it's going to be so much easier for them to, to ride these um, issues and struggles if they come up or hopefully to avoid them to some degree and then to ride that transition into postpartum and through because it will become a part of their language, part of their body literacy um, and part of the embodiment. I think it's so fantastic. Yoga has such an important role to play in people's healing. It might not be everyone's everything, but I think everyone can do it and everyone can gain such a great um, healing tool and healing maintenance tool as well from it. And you see that yoga is really popular now. Um, I think in New York or somewhere in one of the big cities in America, it's like the most popular career choice or the most popular thing that people are retraining in it's just peaking and in that there's a responsibility there for looking after women's health so I'm so glad that you're not only writing about it but you're also educating yoga practitioners to have those tools there and to honor the feminine tools um that you can incorporate into yoga um, I think we're nearly reaching an hour, so I'm aware that I've, I've had you here for a while. <laughs> I feel like I could ask a hundred more questions, but we might uh, wrap it up for now and I can always get you back another time. So I'd love for you to talk about um, your courses and your book, where people can find you, and I'm going to put a bunch of links up and share this around. But, yeah, if you could share with everyone. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Shelley. Yeah, so um, you can find, if you're interested in the book, The Moving with the Moon, Yoga, Movement, Meditation for Every Phase of Your Menstrual Cycle and Beyond, you can simply go to www.movingwiththemoon.com and that will take you straight to the section of our Bliss Baby Yoga website, which is all about my book, where you can order the book and you can find out more. And I'd just like to make um, a point, if I could, Shelley, that as part of my kind of commitment to, to feminism as an issue and women's issues, I wanted to give back on a deeper level. I wanted to support women that are really much less fortunate than you and I. So I'm um, tithing 10% of all the profits on the book sales to a wonderful organisation called Art to Healing, which is a not-for-profit organisation um, run by an absolutely inspirational woman called Atira Tan, an Australian woman. And the mission of this organisation is to support the recovery of girls and women who have been the victims of the sex slavery industry. She works um, throughout Asia, but I think she mainly focuses in Nepal at the moment and does amazing rehabilitation with these women using yoga and art therapy and understanding and kind of self-esteem and understanding about, around women's health. Um, so, yeah, I'm really passionate about trying to extend the reach of my work in that way. So if you buy my book, you're supporting her amazing cause. Um, and also along with the book, I've recorded a number of audio tracks, audio meditations. So in the book, throughout the book, there's scripts for different meditations and breathing practices and relaxation practices that you can use for the different phases of your cycle as well as for menopause. So they're all also available on my website. You can get those recordings to practice at home. 
Uh, and also, if you're just interested in general, if you're a yoga teacher or you're, inter or you're a women's health practitioner and you want to know more about how to specialise in this area of women's yoga, you can go to our website, which is www.blissbabyyoga.com, and I'm sure Shelley will put up the link. Uh, and we offer a variety of, of, I think, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, a variety of courses in prenatal yoga teacher training, postnatal yoga teacher training, fertility yoga, which, which you mentioned that you're studying with us, Shelley, uh, as well as ongoing professional development um, stuff on pelvic floor and all sorts of really juicy stuff to support you in your work with women specifically with yoga but also complementary to massage therapists and doulas and so on this type of work so yeah and if you go to our homepage, you can also subscribe and you can um, get my free ebook moving with the womb as well which you can get through the website and yeah i'm doing a number of law well i'm doing a few just selected launches for my book coming up i'm really looking forward to doing one in your area shelly in the tari i'm at the tari library i'm doing one in byron bay coming up as well i'm doing one in july in auckland so you can find all those details on the website at movingwiththemoon.com and also find me on facebook and instagram as well yes yes you are on social media which i'll pop the links up Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting you. And with the online courses, so um, yeah, I am enrolled in the fertility and I'm just taking it slowly. So there's no time limit or anything. It's something that you can integrate as you go, which I think is such an important part of it. And I've also got, I've um, downloaded your meditations, which I think is a fantastic way to incorporate the embodiment of this practice so your book has lots of really good information like it's full of gems i was flicking through again trying to get a few quotes i was like it's all good <laughs> i can't quote it all people just need to get it but there's also <laughs> um there's also uh lots of really detailed um descriptions and pictures on how to do the asanas so that's there how to embody that but then with the meditations it's a really good way that it would be a good thing to be doing any time of the month, but especially at your dark moon or your menstruation period, because you're just resetting your nervous system, you're sitting back, you're listening, and it's stealing your mind from our overstimulated world. And I think that can be hard to do. I personally find that hard sometimes. I'm getting better to slow down and do the meditation, just listen, let go of all the to-do lists, let go of all the um external but really like it is an investment in the bank when you slow down and do those and and you'll be able to do more in the long run and i hope that people get inspired to start incorporating some of this into their world or more of this into their world if they already are and just awareness on an emotional level of it's okay to honor your feminine cycles on a physical level just to tune in if you're doing yoga or anything the hormones change all of your muscles <laughs> throughout different periods of the month. They become very relaxed at certain times and stronger at others, just as in postpartum and menopause. So it's okay. You don't have to do everything that you do all month. You can slow down and honour um, the physiological as well as emotional changes. Even little things like I try to be aware not to lift anything too heavy or to baby wear or carry my baby as much during my menstruation because my muscles are different and I'm trying to be more aware of my pelvic floor. So yeah, I'd love for people to, um, to jump on and let us know what they think, talk about how they already embody this practice or ways that they're inspired to. And even if it's something that you do um, down the track in a month, jump on and come back and tell us how you've been able to incorporate 
this into your life and um, what self-care you're bringing in because we need to make self-care something that is is good and, and supported and encouraged and positive. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening and if there was something there for you, please head on over to the pollinationmamas.com webpage, sign up for latest podcasts, nourishing recipes, blogs and much more. Head on over to Anchor FM at Pollination Mamas and sign up for the podcast there or to Facebook and Instagram and say hello. But importantly, share widely with anyone you may know who would gain something from this. Thank you.